Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Uh, before we start, just want to thank our friends Laura and Lauren for hosting our first annual Many to Come River Cleanup. Uh, there's some pictures in the uh, email that John sent out yesterday. For those of you who saw them, yes, that bridge that Ron made was very precarious. <laughs> and Too precarious. And Matt and Dev experienced that personally. So uh, again, it was uh, good work and a fun time and some Dhamma talk mixed in. So thank you. I don't think it was for art in this experiment. Yes. Uh, tonight again is the last class before we start our next uh, study on Saturday. I'm not sure what it is. It might be the five clinging aggregates, but tonight is the last one. The Kakayana Gocha Sutta. Uh, again, this is the last one on the topic of emptiness. You won't find the word empty, emptiness at all in this one, but just the, the concept of emptiness and right view and within the context of dependent origination, I think you can see how emptiness of ignorance and then when you see uh, dependent origination, which is included in this sutta, you can see how it plays out. The absence of ignorance, the emptiness of ignorance and how the Buddha lays out uh, the cessation of ignorance and therefore the crumbling of the 12 links of dependent origination. The Buddha was staying at Savadi at Jita's Grove in Athapadinka's monastery. The monk, Kakayana Gocha, approached the Buddha with a question. I don't understand right view. Can you teach me how right view relates to the world? Kakana, the confusion and deluded thinking in the world arises from polarizing views. There is the view of a permanent existence and a view of a permanent non-existence. When the origination of confused and deluded thinking is understood and abandoned, from right view it is seen that non-existence does not occur. Furthermore, when the cessation of confused and deluded thinking is understood and abandoned, from right view it is seen that existence does not occur. So right off the bat, the Buddha is saying, telling you what wrong view is. These extremes and these views that most of the world takes is of extremes. And there's many versions of extremes. In this case, it's of existence, you know, eternalism, that this form and this set of views is permanent. And on the other hand, the, the view of this is non-existent and annihilation. So 
the Buddha is telling you from, from the get-go that extreme views is wrong view. John's comments. The first factor of the Eightfold Path is right view, is ultimately viewing the world of any notion of a permanent self. There is no me here. This is not me. This is not mine. The Buddha continues. The world, and the way I see this is, again, that most people, the uninstructed, and then there's uh, is, is sustained by attachment, by clinging to conditioned thinking and view, wrong views rooted in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. One who has developed right view no longer clings to attachments or fixated conditioned thinking or self-obsession. Uh, permanent attachment to views, ideas, associations, uh, rituals based in cultural, political, you know, past spiritual and religious practices, things that you've staked the flag in the ground, that despite even when we're in this training that we're in, that it's hard to not be attached to these, you know, very ingrained views. The Buddha continues, it is understood that stress arising is stress arising. It is understood that stress passing away is stress passing away. In this, their knowledge is independent of other views. This is how right view relates to the world. So the Buddha is saying, when you are in right view, you can just experience dukkha arising without judgment. You can experience dukkha passing away without a disturbed mind. And I think of the Bahia Sutta where, you know, the seen is just seen, the heard is just heard, the sensed is just sensed, and the cognized is just cognized. There is no judgment that, of course, there's dukkha, that's the first noble truth. Dukkha does not go away, but how we view it, that it arises and passes away. The view that everything exists is wrong view, and the view that nothing exists is another wrong view. My Dhamma avoids extreme views. I teach the Eightfold Path as a middle way that avoids extreme views. The middle way shows that from ignorance of Four Noble Truths as a requisite condition comes, and that's a, the arising of fabrications. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. This is where we personalize. Based on that initial ignorance, we personalize everything we come in contact with. From uh, name and form as a requisite condition comes the sixth sense space. This is, of course, where we experience everything through our senses. From sixth sense space as a requisite condition comes contact. From contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. And again, when you think of craving, craving is the existence of cra craving for existence, the craving for non-existence, the sense craving. Again, craving for these extremes, these extremes that are 
based on deluded thinking, the Buddha brings us to the middle, where the middle path of the Eightfold Path it is one of, of a balance. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition comes aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. Such is the origination of extreme views and the entire mass of confusion, delusion, and stress. But the Buddha doesn't just leave us there. That, of course, is dependent origination. As Matt pointed out a few weeks ago, that's the condition. With ignorance, this cycle of samsara is not based on time. It just exists. Because of this ignorance, this is what we can expect in whether it's at a very gross level or as your practice develops, you'll see it at a really subtle level. And that's really the practice is to be able to see that arising at the most subtle level and not judge it. And then as it passes away, that of course, all things are impermanent and all things that are impermanent are stressful. And therefore anything that is stressful cannot be mine. It cannot be something that I own. So the Buddha, now, and this is my favorite line of the Buddha, and this is where I feel like you can be gentle with yourself, that you don't have to judge yourself. And that line is, the Buddha continues, from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. So that's emptiness. That's the practice, the realization that the practice is a continual practice, that it's a fading away. It's not just this bolt of lightning and you're awakened. It's fading. And as your practice deepens, that means your practice is getting more refined. That the jhana meditation that we practice becomes more subtle. You'll see more of the very subtle things that we're attached to that aren't the obvious ones. That your mindfulness allows you to, to see those things arise and pass away without any help from you. It's just arising and passing away. And I'll say that again. The Buddha continues, from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. From the cessation of fabrications comes the cessation of consciousness based in ignorance. From the cessation of consciousness or conditioned thinking come the cessation of name and form. From the cessation of name and form come the cessation of the sixth sense media. From the cessation of the sixth sense media comes the cessation of contact. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. And again, keep it in, in mind of the other teachings that we've had over the last few months that 
Ignorance is the driving force of our confused and deluded thinking. As the fading away of ignorance occurs, that you can see the discrete nature of all phenomenon. You can see how it arises and passes away. And it really does have an empty nature to it. It's insubstantial. From the cessation of feelings comes the cessation of craving. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging and sustenance. From the cessation of clinging and sustenance comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. From cessation of birth, then aging and death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, all cease. Such is the cessation of the entire mass of stress and suffering. And again, this is where our ever-deepening levels of jhana meditation allows us to see these subtle attachments. It allows us to experience the arising and passing away of all things and knowing that it's not personal, that we are just are observing this observation of all things that arise and pass away, that it cannot be personal because it's impermanent. And because it's impermanent, it is stressful. That's the insight that the Buddha had when he you know, awoke to dependent origination. Our insight and vision of impermanence is experienced. I can't teach Matt about impermanence. I can't teach Ram about anatta. I cannot teach you about dependent origination. You must experience it. And it's not experienced all at once. You experience it as it arises and passes away. The Buddha continues. Now this, monks, is the noble truth of stress. Birth is stressful. Aging is stressful. Death is stressful. Sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair are stressful. Association with the unbeloved is stressful. Separation from the loved is stressful. Not getting what is wanted is stressful. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. And because we know that the aggregates are impermanent and insubstantial, therefore they are not ourself. So therefore, what is there to cling to? Why is there this commitment to this form that will break apart? Why is there this need to double down on the views and ideas when it's changing every moment that my views and ideas are more likely just something I heard from Ram but yet I am steadfastly going to defend those viewpoints and argue with someone until I beat them down with some idea that in the next moment has changed. The Buddha continues, And this, monks, is the noble truth of origination of stress. The craving that makes for further becoming accompanied by passion and delight 
relishing now here and now there, craving for sensual pleasure, craving for becoming, craving for non-becoming. And this, monks, is the noble truth of the cessation of stress, the remainderless fading and cessation, renunciation, relinquishment, release, and letting go of that very craving. So we understand that what are we letting go of? We're letting go of something that is foam on the water. It's a mirage. It's smoke. But yet, because we live most of our lives in a diluted state, we have to defend it. The Buddha is saying, this Eightfold Path, this way to clarity and understanding was offered by the Buddha. And this, monks, is the noble truth of the way of practice leading to the cessation of stress. Precisely this noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. That's the end of the sutta. So this had everything. And the, the first stanzas of the sutta were really just the Buddha laying out what wrong view is and what right view is. And the emptying of ignorance is simply right view. So uh, let's go around the room. We'll start with Brian. You were here first. Hi, David. Hey, Thank Brian. you for the teaching. Um, it struck me as you were reading through this the that that Anatta is just this incomplete collection of impermanent events that there's there's nothing that of any substance that can be attached to and you're right the energy to defend that incompleteness is can be all-consuming um and as, as you're going through the the reverse of the dependent origination it's it's the cessation of that that need to defend that fictitious entity that, that just isn't worth defending. So I appreciate the teaching tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And the the way John puts it is emptiness is a verb. I, I think I heard Matt and John talk about that once, that it's a verb not a destination it's not a goal it's just realization that everything is discrete and everything is impermanent so therefore this need to attach yourself to and grasp and cling to is is really not defendable and you know the subtle nature of this practice allows you as you develop with right intention and right effort that you will see these subtle aspects 
of of conceit and how it's the same as the more gross versions that we all experience and can show as examples but it's really the subtle ones you see when your practice becomes more refined so thank you brian kevin how are you tonight nice meeting you Kevin, hello. It's nice to meet you. I'm going to turn my video off. I may have some problems with my internet, but I read earlier, so I appreciate your comments and John's comments as well on the teaching. Um, there are some words I must say that in here that I find a little bit confusing in the Buddhist teaching, things like remainderless or remainderless and I'm becoming, I'm still becoming familiar with, but um, yeah, the idea of not being attached to, to our experiences of not clinging to these, um, these moments and just letting them kind of unfold um, is what I'm taking away from the teaching here. Uh, and, and, yeah, so so thanks. Appreciate appreciate the, the lesson tonight. Thank you, Kevin. I, I, you can get caught up into certainly this term emptiness, and uh, Matt did such a nice job scrubbing it down and boiling it to a, its essence last Tuesday. And you can get caught up into trying to intellectually figure it out. But when you overlay it, I always have that imagery of overlaying any of the suttas over my current understanding of dependent origination. It does help because John keeps it simple. It's the emptying of ignorance and, you know, the choice of becoming more ignorant or more wise and just your decision to follow the Buddha's teachings and words is the first occurrence, the first appearance of right view. So thank you. Thanks. Good evening, Jeff. Good evening. Thank you for the teaching. I, I, I like the concept of of this emptiness as a verb. I, I was trying to put words onto that experience. It's difficult. Calm, attentive, mindful come to word, but also as a detached observer comes to mind. Mm. It's, it, it's hard to, it's hard to describe how you can, you can be, uh, a mindful participant, but still be a, a detached observer mm. of the experience. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can help me define that a little bit more. Emptiness, <laughs> the whole concept of emptiness for me became uh, much clearer when we, we had a sutta about the emptiness of the aggregates. And I think it was a, a debate and the, the Buddha was challenging someone 
can I wake up and control that feeling? Can I change my form? Can I control my perceptions? They, so that the concept of you know being that observer, it's just, for me, it's the awareness of the definition of emptiness in regards to the aggregates and not being attached to them. So therefore I can see a situation in like Bahia, I can see something and it's just seen. So uh, that's how I see it. Uh, Matt, you look like you wanted to say something. Well, I, I think that was a really good question, the way that you framed that, Jeff. Um, in that the detached observer versus the, the mindful practitioner um, Versus an attached observer detached or an attached participant. Right. Um, so this is that thing of, of how, how, how we're running what's coming in through our sensory contact through the filter of me and my likes and my preferences and all of those things. So am I mindfully running sensory contact through this filter of me or am I detachedly observing phenomena arise and pass away that is not me, is not mine, is not what I am or who I am. So there's, there's, there's something, the distinction there um, is that If I'm mindful of what's arising and passing away in through the eyes, through the ears, through the nose, through touch, through taste, or am I running it through the filter of me? So something something is getting involved in that, right? Versus something is not getting involved, right? Right. So that does that is that teasing something out there? Yeah, somewhat. Uh, it, it's a it's kind of a slippery concept to put into words because you're 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 still making uh, evaluations and judgments of the experience or, or of what's happening without necessarily personalizing right 
I think. Right, and that so so that's what what you described there is is the first jhana. You know, mm-hmm. in the first jhana, there's directed thought and evaluation. So while there is mindful mindfulness of what's arising and passing away, there's directed thought and evaluation. Then in the second jhana, something something shifts, something changes. And mindful awareness of phenomena arising and passing away continues, but directed thought and evaluation stops. Without your participation. Right. In the third and fourth jhana, that that uh, fading away of of a um, of a personal view becomes more and more, and and what's there becomes just a reference point. Does that tease that out a little bit? So, somewhat. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to make mentally the distinction between detachment and, and disassociation. Yeah, that's really that's really that's really a good a good thing. Or you know a, a good uh, observation. Detachment and and dissociation are very different. Um, detachment just refers to to not getting involved personally in what's arising and passing away. Disassociation means. A, a almost some kind of uh, I guess one extreme of that would be some kind of trance-like state. Mm-hmm. Unconsciousness, perhaps. Right. Some kind of some kind of dullness. Um, it's also, or like numbness. Yeah. It's, it's, or, also, it's or also, numbness. also. It's also. You feel annihilated. Yeah. Your your participation. Yeah. Your. You know that's the other extreme of, of non-existence. That yeah, I've got a I've got a note here that I made to myself about black and white thinking as being examples of extremes, and Certainly. the the one extreme would be the avoidance of annihilation. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the dangers of a practitioner is that if I'm not engaged in in putting myself out, that therefore, what am I? What? Where's my specialness? Where's where, where's my where does my opinion fall? Where the Buddha is saying that that's an extreme view and a wrong view, and again. If you're in wrong view, you will experience 
stress because if it changes the next moment, if someone disagrees with say, a viewpoint, it, then therefore, you know, impermanence is always there. Every moment, some it's always changing. And if you're not engaged, then what am I? Well, you're a six property person who's able to look at anything, something that formerly you would hate, and you can observe it and understand that it's arising and passing away. And that's the, the practices of jhana meditation is to get to a more and more subtle absorption state to be able to observe that. So thank you for the question. That's really good observations. Why don't we go to Dev. Good evening, Dev. Good evening, David. Uh, I'll just continue to listen for tonight. Welcome. Thank hey, you. Dev. Water buddies. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Good evening. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, thanks for the uh, discussion uh, tonight. I'm I'm uh, going to take noble silence. Thank you, Ryan, for joining. Good evening, Jane, my friend. Hi, David. Great teaching. Thank you. Um, just want to jump on something you said about like the process of awakening, and it's a continuum. It's not like a lightning bolt striking. Um, it's only through the wisdom we gain as we practice more that we'll be able to let go of the attachments and entanglements and be present. So that's what I got out of this. Yeah, you're such a good example of not getting too caught up into the uh, the weeds of trying to figure this all out intellectually, even though clearly you you have a good understanding of it, but... You can see how your practices become more and more refined and you get to the point of it all that you're becoming less attached to things that you know are just foam on the water. So thank you. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Laura, good evening. Hi, David. Thank you. Can you clarify a little bit or go back and... When you were talking about insubstantiality, um, can you talk a little bit about that again? Like when you look at someone, like in, like a person, or like not, how do you say that that person doesn't have substance? I mean, I understand kind of what you mean about attaching our labels and ideas and our preconceived notions mm -hmm. and valuing someone or something to more than it is rather than just being present but what is what do you mean by insubstantial almost that all things are impermanent. impermanent and because all things are impermanent every moment it everything in this room each one of us is is changing that 
therefore, I cannot attach myself to any of it because of that impermanence. Because impermanence mm -hmm. is stressful. Like it's actually truly impossible like for us when we think about it deeply. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to attach to something that's like impermanent. It's just a. Mm -hmm. It's not real. It's, it's, you're trying to do something that is not possible. Therefore, it's stressful. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Because it changes, there will be disappointment. Because this thing that I attach to at this moment, the next moment, it's changing. I wish it was what it was. Or I wish in the future it'd be better. Again, be able to see something and simply be seen. Think about the calmness of something arising and having that attitude, the calmness and peace that you experience. At that moment, you see grandma that way. Mm. And then when it passes away, you see with this sense of equanimity. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you're dismissive or not human. Mm -hmm. You're a six-property person that now can experience everything under those kind of rules of the, this road of the Dhamma versus thinking that this permanent thing that I've established is there, but yet it's change in every moment smoke yeah it's smoke and to s my relationship with my children and my wife is different than it was yesterday or 25 years ago and I can either be disappointed in it or be thrilled with it or I could just understand that impermanence is always happening without me being involved and mm -hmm. My involvement is simply the clinging aspects of what the aggregates are. They are insubstantial. They are empty. And simply, as, as you can put it, how can I think that I'm in control of my feelings when the next moment they've changed? So. You don't become a monster, you don't become this unfeeling person, you just become wise versus ignorant. You listen more and you just observe more. You, you observe more and you, the wise restraint that you have while this ignorance is fading away is eventually replaced by the cessation of ignorance and therefore the links of dependent origination are broken up. To me it's a, a calming, not a distressful, disturbing process. Mm -hmm. And that's why I practice this practice. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the question. That was very good. Thank you. From.
my friend. <clears throat> yeah, there is a lot swirling around here. Um, <clears throat> I looked again at, at <clears throat> the, the, the constant evaluations that we do. that are always about good and bad. Mm -hmm. And they always have that unsubstantial self as, as the reference point. That's the thing that wants it to be good for it or bad for it. And There's another form of, of emptying there <clears throat> when those evaluations fall away mm -hmm. and are abandoned. <clears throat> so this whole concept, well it's not even a concept of, of emptiness, has, has a lot of different facets to it. There's a lot of emptying going on in, in the practice. Every, every bit of abandoning is a, is a, a form of emptying. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot in this sutta that, that the monk asks for a lecture on right view. Buddha tells him about dependent origination, which is what he awakened to, and then goes right into the Four Noble Truths, which is the basis of the practice. And in the end, and the last line is, this is the practice. This is the Eightfold Path. Their, their own bit of emptiness in here. Mm. And, it, and it still all meshes together very well. And Kakayana was a very well-established member of the Sangha. Mm -hmm. And yet he goes to the Buddha and asks a very basic question. And Tell me again. Tell me again. How and it fits together. And to me, it's again, it's a... Be gentle with yourself, because if somebody who has access to the Buddha every day or, you know, seasonally is still asking questions, these are not easily understood and experienced because so much of it is so subtle, so ingrained, you know, that it is good and evil, right and wrong. Can I 
can I look at something that is so wrong and not judge it or villainize it or try to change it? Can I do that? And the subtle nature of our jhana meditation, that's where the jhanas, where you're experiencing it, that's when you start, are able to see the, the subtle, really deeply ingrained conditioned thinking. So, thank you, Ron. Thank you. Finish up with our friend Matt. Thanks, David. Excellent teaching tonight. Um, yeah, really like the Sangha discussion. Um, I think what this monk was asking about and what the Buddha talked about was all of the things that are in the way of right view. All of these things that are in the way. And when we can attend to what's arising and passing away without getting involved in it, then we can start to empty those things that are in the way. And as we empty those things that are in the way, ignorance of Four Noble Truths, insubstantial perceptions and feelings and thoughts that are smoke dependent origination falls away, is emptied. Um, so like Ram said, there's a lot in here. Really great discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everyone. I, I know that's... Uh, emptiness can be a, a dense subject in I've always found it helpful, no matter what subject, is to over, always overlay it on dependent origination and the Four Noble Truths. Uh, don't try to tackle things individually. You know, keep it in context. And John always tells us, keep it in context to the dependent origination. And it makes it a little more digestible and then, tenth time you hear about emptiness, it clicks. Like for click for me when, you know, I saw the emptiness of the aggregates, and that all of a sudden made sense to me. So uh, again, it's these are sometimes heady stuff, but again, it's uh, you know this is the strength of the sangha, and you know appreciate you all. We will finish with Karanita Metta Sutta to find your relaxed meditation posture again. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. 
and, and, and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain the re this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. See you Saturday. Thank you, David. Bye-bye, Bye, Bye, guys. See you Saturday. Bye. David, what happened in the river? Did somebody uh, fall in? Well, the river rose, and there was a bunch of little islands that, as the water came down, there was these little islands. And uh, Matt and Dev heroically came up with the idea that they were going to try to... Balance on a log. Balance on a log. Two a, logs. A, a slippery, wet log. And both Matt and Dev went chest deep. <laughs> trying to get to the island. They got to the island with some waterlogged electronics and you know underwear and shoes. So they did their duty on the island and then had a relapse of falling in the river. And then poor Dev was, you know, he had to wait till five o'clock. So this was probably at 2.30. So five o'clock, Dev had to kind of like Air dry. Aww. Yeah, so. He was good. But he was good. So, yes. That was a great day. I love the way you told that day. Yeah, so it, it, it was a fun day. Yeah, it was a fun day, and we're going to do it every year, if not more than once a year. All right, I'm going to try it next time. Okay, thank you. Oh, good yeah. night. Awesome. All right. Bring a bag. Good night. <laughs> right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Matt. Great suit to Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.